Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Uh, today's topic is going to be a little bit of a departure from some of the the economic development stuff that we've been talking about over the past few weeks, uh, going to look at the issue of mapping and data collection and what to do with all that information. Uh, a couple of a couple of years ago, whenever the stimulus started, it's almost like ancient history now, but there was money set aside for um, states to develop broadband maps and track availability. And I had this epiphany a couple of weeks ago at a conference that, you know, this this ability to gather this information and have a repository that basically maps out the data that you're collecting opens up um, some interesting possibilities for gathering data and doing analysis beyond just the issue of is there broadband or is there not broadband. And so I decided to delve into that in some detail today, and we'll also talk about it on Friday. Uh, But today I am very happy to have from the um, NTIA, the source of the um, uh, stimulus grant for uh, mapping and availability, uh, and the bill. And Anne, thank you very, very much for being on the show today. Thanks very much for having me, Craig. So let's dive into this and start with, because uh, there may be some folks who aren't totally familiar with that particular uh, part of the stimulus uh, broadband-related grants, but what was the um, the grant all about, what was it supposed to do, and then we'll kind of roll from there. Great. Well, uh, if I can actually, let me take us back to a little ancient, uh, even more ancient history here, which is 2008, uh, and there was a piece of legislation uh, passed called the Broadband Data Improvement Act, and that act uh, really talked about the importance of states collecting broadband data understanding how to use it, using it for economic development purposes, and then states also taking a leadership role in making sure that their communities were prepared to participate in the digital economy. And so if you fast forward to the Recovery Act, uh, in the Recovery Act, Congress uh, told NPIA that we were to create a searchable and interactive national broadband map. Uh, And uh, the... Uh, the way that ended up happening, we partnered with the FCC, uh, and we made grants to all 56 states, uh, 56 states and territories in the District of Columbia. Uh, and as uh, part of that, uh, about 60% of the funding supported data collection and verification efforts. So not just taking the data in, but also doing work to make sure that it, uh, that it was correct. Uh, we moved data verification, uh, we moved data collection to a whole new level of granularity. Uh, prior to this program uh, starting, the uh, lowest level of detail we really had in the country was census tracts, and we went down to the census block and sometimes even lower. Just for uh, a comparison, uh, census tracts, there, there were about 68,000 uh, when we started the program, uh, and census blocks 
there are now about uh, 11 million. There were about 9 million when we started the program. So you just see that the scale there is uh, is really pretty huge. And when we have big census tracts, uh, like in a lot of or census blocks, uh, as in uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the area uh, west of the Mississippi, there we use road segments. So one to 500 Main Street, things like that. Um, and and that allows us to get into an even more granular level when we're looking at uh, at rural communities. So that's about 60% of the funding. States collect and verify this data twice a year. They submit it to us. We put all of that data together and we publish it at broadbandmap.gov. Uh, and then the other 40% of the funding supports uh, state broadband offices. And actually, they do a lot of work around economic development. Uh, around community development. Uh, they're looking at how to make sure that their states are best positioned to compete in, in a digital economy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and each state pretty much had its own way of approaching uh, the mapping process and what data they were going to gather and so forth. And then all of this kind of fed together and into one uh, repository, right? Yeah, we we put together uh, a, a a notice of funds availability that explained what we wanted everyone to collect and the guidelines for verification. So, as an example, we said everyone had to propose multiple types of verification that they would use, but we didn't want to be uh, we didn't want to prescribe specific uh, things that everyone had to do because we know that the different the geographies of each state, the broadband landscape of each state is so different uh, that it was important to make sure that states were going to be able to use solutions that were going to produce the best results for them uh, for the uh, you know in the most efficient use of of funds uh, and and really because this work had never been done before at this level, we knew that if we left it open, we were going to have a lot more innovation happening. And, and that is what happened. Uh, we saw at the very beginning uh, a couple of states who came forward and said, you know, we want to do drive testing. We want to go out on the highways. We want to bring devices. And we want to see if these speeds and this availability that are being reported are actually what's being reported. Uh, and those, the states that have done that, um, they talk a lot to each other. They've been learning from each other, and that has improved everyone's, uh, everyone's methods who's been, who've been doing that kind of work. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think the similar goes for, uh, for how people are using third-party data sets, how people are using aerial photography, uh, the use of community meetings, things like that. So it's more than... Well, actually, is it? Is it more? Is it? Are they coming up with more ways of pulling together data than you initially expected? Absolutely. There are. Uh, I, you know, I think when when we started the program, we were really focused. Uh, we were focused on how could we, you know, how could we get the best quality data for, uh, you know, in in a limited amount of time. Uh, and for for a reasonable cost, and uh, I think people have been very very creative, uh, and it's and it really has been state specific. Uh, and I'll give a great example um, in the state of Missouri. 
uh, like in a lot of places, state fairs in the summer, are, uh, state and county fairs are incredibly popular. Uh, and uh, one of the things that the broadband team did is they looked at the areas uh, on their state map where they felt like there, uh, there might be more room for error. And they went to those regions. And in addition to community meetings, they said, let's, let's instead of trying to bring people to us, let's go to where people are. Let's go to the county fair and set up a giant blown up picture of the map and have people come up and put a pin in where they live and whether they think that that, uh, that, that speed uh, and those offerings are, are what, you know, what they think represents the truth on the ground. Uh, and then they would also give people a card and ask them to go home and do, you know, to do a speed test. Um, from their home, which they then use to confirm availability at you know at that location, uh, and you know that may not be uh, you know that may not be a solution that's going to work uh, you know in the middle of Washington D.C. Though something similar could, but it was the right solution for Missouri. And I think what you also saw, and Missouri is a great example of how uh, it's it's not just about getting people to give feedback on on the data. It's about getting people to think about why speeds and access to broadband is something that's you know that 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 might be important to them and that they uh, that they want to engage in. You know there are and there've always been thankfully a you know small group of um of advocates around the country who've been working to increase access to Technology and the broadband in, in urban and rural communities. Uh, but one of the parts of this program has also been engaging other folks who didn't necessarily see it as something that was critical to them. Uh, and that's where, at the state level, a lot of this data is being used. It's being used in local and regional planning efforts where people are thinking, hey, just like we plan for water, we plan for uh, roads, we need to plan for broadband, we need to plan for digital literacy, and how do we do that? And that means the people around the table need to come from all those different, need to come from education and healthcare, need to come from the small business community, from agriculture, uh, and be able to talk about what this technology means for their communities and what they need for the future. And that's how local communities are really starting. Many local communities are planning for, uh, you know, for how, you know, if, if, they, if they think they need a gigabit, how do they get there? And what are their assets and what are the things that they need, uh, need to, to get in order, in order to make that a reality? Mm -hmm. Now, today you um, released a report. You started doing a series of briefs, I think. Uh, what was it, about three, four weeks ago, you released the first of those briefs, which I think is linked from the uh, the promo page for this show. And then this morning, um, I spotted a, a second uh, briefing. What's, what's the story behind those, and what are some of the key findings or data points in this most recent brief? Great. Well, we... We started putting out uh, to, to put together a new series we're calling Broadband Briefs, and they're short papers, uh, usually under 15 pages, that uh, take a deeper dive into some of our some of the data that, that that's been collected. And the reason we did this is because 
we have done a lot uh, to make our data open from the very beginning. So the data, uh, all of the methodologies the states use, all of the data, it's available for people to download. We've got a lot of APIs available. People can uh, consume those. You can, there are multiple formats. And so our, our idea was always let's make this data available to as many people who want to use it, who want to critique it, who want to do whatever they want to do with it, make sure it's, make sure it's transparent. But we also heard from people that uh, there were a lot of people who were interested in the data and they wanted more analysis. And so that was really the, um, uh, uh, the impetus of this, of, of this series to start doing a deeper dive into things that we knew people had a real interest in. So the first report took a look at last June's data uh, and uh, the data as of basically July 1st, 2012, uh, and, uh, and did a, a deeper dive into that. Uh, and this next report, um, it uses a little bit older data. It's from June 2011. Uh, but the, the findings, while the numbers have changed, the general findings stay the same. Uh, and what we did in that report was really take a deeper dive into rural and urban communities. And typically what we do in this country is we say urban communities have this, rural communities have this. And we thought, you know, there's a lot that's being masked by that because there is so much diversity within urban communities and within rural communities. So we, uh, NTIA, uh, in partnership with the Economics and Statistics Administration, took that data and divided the country into five regions, uh, essentially from uh, closest, uh, most closely located to a central city to rural. And so uh, what you see there ends up being a much, um, a much richer picture of, of availability. And what we, what we really ended up seeing was how how little uh, a lot of uh, how little broadband was really available to these very rural communities uh, compared to these most urban communities that were uh, that are located uh, you know in a central city uh, and you know and that was I think that that diversity is important because as we're thinking about policy and we're thinking about uh, where uh, you know what we should be doing, uh, we are we think it's important to really look just beyond rural and urban and really look at a much more detailed view of of what's available and what's not. And there were also some surprises. Um, we saw that uh, some of the uh, ex-urban communities. Um, which actually have much less population density than what we call small towns. So exurban, we would typically say are rural, um, versus uh, small towns, which we would we say are urban. And um, those uh, those communities, uh, we found that actually in a lot of instances, uh, exurbs uh, ended up having more broadband uh, at higher speeds uh, than uh, than the small towns did, and that was interesting to us. It, it wasn't always the case, but uh, you know, but what was the the sort of overriding factor was that the exurbs are located much closer to the central city. So mm -hmm. even though, um, and I just just for uh, comparison, so small towns have a population density of about. 
1,400 people per square mile, and exurbs have a population density of 37. So, I mean, it's a you know, incredible difference, 1,400 compared to 37. And yet, you find places where there's exurbs actually have more broadband than these small towns. Uh, we also saw that sometimes suburbs, which you know, have, uh, you know, suburbs are uh, a little more dispersed uh, than central cities are, and we saw that sometimes suburbs actually had faster broadband speeds available to them uh, than, did, than did the central cities. Uh, but as a, you know, this is, this is 2011 data, so it's a little older, but you, while you can imagine it going up, you'll see that the, uh, you know, the sort of uh, the disparity is, is very similar. And when you looked at 50 megabits down, uh, in, uh, in 2011, uh, the very rural communities, only 14% of them had access to 50 megabits down, compared to 67% of uh, of suburbs who actually had the the most uh, the most availability in the country. I mean, so that kind of you know that sort of difference is it, I mean it's really staggering and it's gone up since then. But there's still just a, a huge huge gap, uh, and and I think that gets masked when we just say rural and urban. So if if I'm listening correctly, what you're saying is that the suburbs. <clears throat> have faster broadband than either the rural or the urban areas on average? Well, so in the way we do our analysis, uh, the areas that you, you would have normally called urban, uh, they're uh, composed of suburbs, central cities as the most urban, suburbs, and then small towns. So these three areas that we broke out would normally just be considered urban. They would all be under that big urban umbrella. And we found that not all the time, but in some, in, in a number of cases, suburbs actually had faster broadband speeds than the central city, even mm. though suburbs are less dense. Wow. So, so now what's the implication of that? Well, I, I, you know, I think that's something we're we're starting to we're starting to explore. Uh, you know, I, I think what we were really struck by was this this population density uh, piece. In that, you know, we we know that there are lots of reasons uh, broadband is deployed uh, in an area, and depending on who you talk to. Uh, they will, you know, uh, raise certain, you know, elevate certain concerns, and uh, and and others won't be as important. But we know that certainly population density is something that's that's important. Uh, we know, you know, people, uh, lots of people will talk about the importance of of making sure that they can do it in a, a fast and timely manner. Uh, and then there's there's simple um, topography issues. You know, is it is it how how easy or hard is it to actually deploy that infrastructure? Uh, but I think at least you know I'd always I'd always thought about density as as really one of those you know pretty overriding factors, uh, and it was just very interesting to see that places that sometimes had lower density actually had uh, actually had faster broadband. Uh, so with, with suburbs. You know, you see they are very close to central cities. Um, with the issue with the exurbs versus the small towns, there it looks like maybe what's going on is that, uh, 
you may have low population density, but if you're closer to that central city, uh, that may that may uh, mean something important with respect to uh, with how build out uh, goes on. You know what what this analysis doesn't look at, and what I think future research could absolutely dive uh, more into are uh, are issues around the local economy, uh, income, uh, topography, all of those other pieces that we know do uh, we we know have have an impact on deployment, uh, but we've never uh, because you know prior to this program we've never had such detailed. Uh, uh, we've never had, had such detailed data available. I don't think that it's really been, uh, we've not dived into it at, at that level yet. Mm -hmm. So now when the, um, when the program started, uh, I don't know, were, were people's expectations different than what you are delivering currently? Cause I, I realize that Obviously, you, you NTIA had a set of expectations for what this program was supposed to do and be and deliver, and then the you know the money gets announced, all these various states get it, and they're they're moving off and gathering data. But did you find that the public's perception or expectation was similar to yours, different? You know, how was this thing perceived? I guess. Well, I you know, like uh, like any large nationally scoped program, I think you're going to find people with a lot of different opinions. Uh, the, uh, when, when we started the program, our goal was to make sure that we could create the most detailed view of broadband availability that the, that the country uh, had, had, you know, had seen to that date. Uh, and in that, I think we have, we have absolutely succeeded. Uh, the level of detail that exists is is just unparalleled. Uh, there are uh, there are a number of uh, of stakeholders who who've asked whether you know we could look at address data. So can we say that at 21 Overhill Drive, Berlin, Connecticut, this speed exists versus what we say today, which is in the census block that 21 Overhill Drive, Berlin, Connecticut. You know, exists in uh, that there is you know this speed is available you know within the block, um, and there are uh, there are a, a lot of different uh, both there are a lot of technical challenges to that, uh, and a lot of uh, there are a lot of policy challenges. There are quite there are questions around privacy. Uh, there are questions, uh, you know, but there are technical issues in terms of actually having a uh, a complete uh, address file for for the country, uh, and so, but I I think that uh, we continue to move closer to refining the level of granularity more and more. Uh, and something that I often talk about when I'm meeting with uh, with regional planning teams is that you know, we we collected the level at a, a very low level the data at a very low level of granularity. Some people may need it at something higher, right? For for some people, it may be fine to have it at. It may have been fine to have it at a track, given what they were doing, or it may have been fine to have it as a zip code, given what they were doing. Uh, there are people for whom it, it, you know, they may need. They're looking at a, a fiber deployment in their community. They need ultimately need address by address location. 
Now, the broadband map is going to help them get to that. Uh, it's going to help them further suss that out. Uh, but it may, uh, you know, they may need to go out and do do a little bit more, um, and they may be looking for more information. So, you know, we focus on what's available to what's available to communities. Um, there are, if you were going to do a fiber build out, for example, you'd also want to know who's currently subscribing, and that's something that you're going to have to get you're going to have to get through you know through the community or who would subscribe. Uh, there are definitely issues around what prices people would be willing to pay. So I I think the uh, when we when we think about the map, the map answers some questions, but there's no one data source that's always going to answer every question. It's an important piece of the puzzle, and there are lots of other uh, data sources that people are using and should continue to use to help them answer whatever specific question or need that they have. But uh, but we our goal was was to try to come out with a the most detailed view that that we could uh, in a in a short period of time. We also we thought timeliness was really important um, of of broadband availability in the country, and in that I, I think we've I think we've really succeeded. Right now, wasn't there <clears throat> there wasn't there concern? Well, actually, there's probably a bunch of concerns. Uh, but wasn't there concern about, um, for example? Uh, what was considered coverage, right? Because I think at least I know in the state of California, for one, you know, there was concern because someone would say, well, this area is covered, but only one house in a census tract or a zip code or however the state was doing their mapping before the stimulus. You know, there were, there, there were these issues about, well, how are we defining coverage? Um, you know, you got into the issue of advertised speeds versus actual speeds. Um, how were those two issues addressed? So the uh, I think let's start with the the advertised versus the actual. So I you know actual has a a lot of different meanings. Uh, you know the when when I look at if I if I take a speed test on my computer right now, there are a bunch of different factors that are going to determine what speed I get. Um, how my computer is working, uh, whether I have uh, I'm currently connected to a VPN, so that's going to add a whole different uh, a, a layer of complexity to it. What my inside wiring in my house looks like, how my Wi-Fi is set up, uh, you know, and then and then finally what's actually coming into the house. And so I I think speed tests have a lot of value. Uh, they they absolutely do, uh, but they um if if i say the typical speed is the speed test that I took right now i think we can say that the typical speed for the speed test i took right now at my computer at uh 11:27 a.m. pacific time uh so we think speed tests have definite when there are a lot of them in a place they certainly start telling you things um, they can't tell you uh, they, they don't tell you in and of themselves what someone is supposed to be getting. So I'm very lucky that I have fiber to the home. Um, I could subscribe to uh, a 100 megabit symmetrical connection. Right now I'm choosing to subscribe to a, a 25 meg symmetrical mm -hmm. connection. So when I do a speed test, 
even though I do have 100 megs available, it's not going to show 100 megs. It's going to show 25. Uh, and you know, I, I think there's been a lot of important, since we started the program, there's been a lot of important work uh, that's been done on this. Certainly the FCC has done really important work on this uh, where they showed for, I think, the top 15 providers in the U.S. Uh, what their advertised, how their uh, advertised speeds stacked up to what people were experiencing, uh, and you know, and speed tests definitely have an important place. I mean, if people are subscribing to one thing and continually getting uh, a, a test for a test back for something else, there's a problem, and you know, you have to figure out where the problem is. But if the problem is the provider, you know, that that ought to be fixed because that's you know, that's not what you know, that's not what's being advertised. Um, but I guess the, the point of it is it's a real challenge uh, to, to say, uh, you know, here, here is what the, the typical speed is at, you know, at a certain point in time. We do collect a lot of that data, uh, and we make that data available. Uh, on, that, is, that is available for download. People can, anything that the states can get, whether it's what they collect themselves uh, or sometimes uh, what they actually get from uh, what some providers actually provide typical speed data, uh, so we do have we do have a lot of that there for people to to use and to uh, and to play with. Uh, we went with advertised speed because part of what we wanted to know was what was available to people. You know, people may subscribe based on their needs, they may subscribe to a variety of things, but what could people actually what could they purchase if they want to? Um, uh, and then uh, on the the second side, sorry, you'd asked about uh, you'd asked about typical speed and the size of the um, of census blocks. Um, so census blocks, you know, as a there are 11 million census blocks in this country. I mean, when you think about this, uh, you know, we we tend to think I think I think there are about 68,000 census tracts right now. There's something like 47,000 zip codes. So Census blocks are really, really granular. Um, they and in places where they're not, in places where the census block is big, um, we cut it off and we say the data we have to get is at a road segment, so one to five hundred Main Street, you know, five hundred to a thousand, you know, rural route, blah 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 blah. And so uh, we do get down to a, a really detailed level of granularity. In fact. The census block is it's the small it's the lowest level of granularity for which the census will actually publish any information. You can't get population statistics below a census block. It doesn't exist. So the and I, I have to go back and, and look. I'll try to find it before the end of this call. But uh, my you know the 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 average size of a census block, the average population is is really really quite small. Um, and uh, and so you know there are uh, you know that's not to say that there are places where part of a census block is served and part of it isn't served. Uh, and I think that as you know uh, you know as we've been looking at you know what you know what could evolve in this program, or as states have been looking at you know maybe how they want to depict data. People are looking at other options. Um, they're looking at partially served blocks, or they're looking at, in some cases, where 
they know it's a particularly messy census block trying to get down to the address level. Um, but it's a challenge because in, in some of those very rural census blocks, um, the addressing, you know, the addressing that we have is not is not very good. And you know, I, I know it sounds a little funny. It sounded funny to me the first time someone told me that. I said, "What do you what do you mean that?" Um, but when the you know you think about how many people have uh, you, how many people have uh, PO boxes or they have a mailbox that's a mile from the end of their driveway. I mean that's just not going to help you in terms of telling you if broadband is actually available at the actual house a mile down uh, from, that, uh, from that post office box. So, you know, there are a lot of things in play, but what we've gotten down to is the, the you know, the most detail that even the U.S. Census, uh, you know, the lowest level of detail that even the U.S. Census would release. Uh, and I think, I think we all, you know, I think, I think that's something to be really excited about. Um, that's not to say that there are places where we need to get down further and keep and keep drilling down, uh, and we will. Uh, you know, that's something we, you know, I think we and the grantees uh, continually are trying to, to, to refine this data. Uh, but it's also important to remember that, you know, this is, this is a data set that was built from scratch. It didn't exist, you know, four years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> I think one of the other uh, concerns that pops up a lot is, um, the issue of price, because if you're going to talk about availability, but you don't have affordability, you you have an issue. So how have uh, or have you guys, I don't know, uh, either compensated for that in your analysis, or do you you know provide a caveat and say, well, you know, we really can't speak to the issue of price because it's you know difficult data to get. How how do you reconcile the two? Well, I think so. One, we we absolutely we try to be clear about what we're what we are including and what we're not including. So, if you, uh, as an example, take a look at the uh, take a look at that availability report that I think is uh, is listed from your uh, from your web page. Uh, we talk about the fact that there are there are other important factors about you know in addition to whether something is physically available and you know those factors you know, price quality of service um, issues of of uh, data tasks all of those things are uh, are going to be are going to be important um, you know we when we when we started this. Uh, we were really focused on on availability. Where was broadband available? So not not sort of the affordability question, which is certainly uh, you know when it comes down to an individual level, that is you know is it really available to me if I can't afford it? I, and I think that that is without a doubt an, an incredibly important concept. We were really focused on you know, where is it because we don't know. Uh, and we wanted to get that right, and we wanted to uh, get that at, you know, as I said, at this, at this level of detail that had just never been done before. Uh, and before we moved on to to price, which has, you know, a lot of other uh, dynamics in it. Uh, it you know, when uh, I, in a, a previous job, uh, worked for the state of California, and we had a state broadband task force, and. Uh, one of the things we wanted to look at was price as part of that as part of that and 
one of the challenges was trying to figure out, as, as I think every, you know, all of your viewers know, what the actual price was. Uh, we ended up coming up with, we did, uh, we did cold calling around the state uh, using, uh, we called various providers, we used, uh, we used their websites uh, to try to find out what packages were available, what wasn't available. Um, but it was, uh, it was very dynamic, it changed very quickly, uh, and there were a lot of caveats to it. Um, and it was uh, important for us at NTIA when we started to um, creating a searchable and interactive uh, map of broadband availability to make sure that we could do that and do that within the timing that Congress had required and then start looking at what other uh, you know what other pieces we could do to add to that uh, to that important uh, framework? So you know, and obviously NTIA does a lot more uh, uh, a lot more research activity in addition to uh, to the, the broadband map. You know, as, as you know, the uh, Digital Nation report um, that's very important, and, and those surveys uh, that come out uh, and those do look at those look at price both. Uh, uh, and there are other uh, other stakeholders in the field, like New America, Pew, other folks who are also looking at price. And so, part of a, what we're doing too is you know, we always want to make sure we're not uh, we're not duplicating sources that are out there. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> over the last uh, couple of years, you know, obviously with all of the um, uh, broadband projects that have been put in play because of the stimulus. The availability picture, I'm assuming, has changed. Obviously, not just because of those projects, because a lot of those are only now coming online. But from the data that you've looked at, how, in general terms, have the availability picture uh, improved? So availability has uh, availability has improved considerably at the higher speed tiers uh, since uh, June, I'll take June 2010, which is what our last report looked at. We compared uh, June 2010 to June 12. Uh, and, you know, what we saw at the at very, very basic speeds, so here, uh, you know, three, three megabits down, uh, 768 uh, kilobits per second up, so, right, very, very basic. We saw that uh, in June uh, of 2010, availability was about 95%, and it went up about to, to about 98% in June of 2012. So it went up a few percentage points. There obviously also there wasn't quite as much room to, to grow. Uh, where we really saw the, the increases uh, were starting at 25 megabits and above. Um, you know, we saw in June 2012 about in June 2010 about half the country had access to a 25 meg service. That number went up to 79%, so almost 80% uh, uh, by June 2012. You're talking almost 30 percentage points, uh, so from about 50% to, uh, to 79% in the course of two years at 25 uh, megs. And uh, those numbers, Continue to get higher. Uh, similarly, at 50 megs, uh, it went from 46% to 75%. We saw a really big increase at the 100 megabit level when we started in, in June 20, in June 2010, which was 
not the first data set, but the second data set uh, that we received, uh, about 11% of the country had access to a, a 100 megabit service. And today, about 47% of the country does. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a huge number. Uh, the, I think it's important as we hear that number to remember that the U.S. is a very, very urbanized country. So part of what that is, part of that is, is really a reflection of that urbanization. Uh, what it's also a reflection of uh, is the uh, most of the cable companies at this point having upgraded their systems to DOCSIS 3 uh, and selling, you know, considerably faster, uh, faster service. That's a lot of that increase uh, is due is due to that. Um, there's also been uh, there's been some important uh, build out of uh, of fiber to the premises uh, that also contributes to that. Uh, but a lot of it is the the increase um, upgrading to the the DOCSIS three systems with the cable companies. Now, when you talk about a gigabit service, uh, which obviously has been a pretty big topic lately, uh, there. Uh, you know, you see, you see just a a, a giant drop off, uh, and that's uh, you know, in, in June 2010 we were talking about one percent of the country. In June 2012 we're talking about three percent of the country. Uh, that number includes some services which really are uh, really are mostly available to businesses. Uh, so if we're talking from a residential standpoint, it's it's even lower. Uh, and you know, and that's a reflection of infrastructure that's available. Uh, you can see those those same numbers sort of mirrored uh, when you look at uh, the infrastructure that's available. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, interesting. Um, one percent to three percent. Uh, I guess for a gigabit, we're still early, early on in the in the process. So that's going to be. Um, something to watch as things continue to move forward and more gigabit cities get announced and 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 so forth uh do you does i don't know does um do you guys ever get involved in sort of um i don't know guessing estimating what might happen in a couple of years or do you totally just deal with you know analyzing the data as it exists but offer very little on the you know of the uh... we certainly see we certainly see trends in the data, but uh, I'm I'm definitely I I I don't think it would be uh, I I don't think I don't think I'd be able to predict um, uh, where where we're going to be I, I you know we see a we see a continual increase uh, and certainly the uh, you know the the president has announced goals for the country. Uh, and you know when we see where we're where we're on track to meet those, which is really exciting. Uh, but it you know it would be I don't think we have I don't think we have the the data uh, to be able to say well if we're at three percent now for a gigabit you know where where will we be uh, you know in in five years uh, you know I think it's something we can all talk about uh, but there are so many different factors. Uh, you know, from uh, investment, you know, in both on the demand and on the supply side, that are really going to to impact what actually happens there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're sort of kind of um, kind of open on that, open ended on on that whole thing. 
what other kinds of um, data do you think can be added to mapping data to uh, to provide value? And maybe this is being you know explored mostly at a state by state level. But uh, when we when you and I met uh, in Washington a few weeks ago at the conference there. Uh, you know, I did this, I did this panel on um, mapping, and my my uh, theory was that if you've got the apparatus for collecting and mapping, you know, who has broadband and where and so forth, you can start to overlay that data with additional data and come up with some pretty interesting, you know, analysis relative to economic development. You know, maybe tracking economic development improvement or uh, whatever, based on, you know, broadband adoption or availability and so forth. But once you have the core engine, you know, and again, whatever that the, the state's created to gather that data, now once you have that core engine, you can start to do interesting types of analysis based on what data you can add to that core. Is that a correct ass assumption? Yeah, it, you, you know, and I think that that is actually – when when the program started, a lot of the focus, understandably, was on the national broadband map. What was it going to look like? What was it going to show? Uh, we always thought, and the reason, one of the reasons, you know, we were so excited about structuring the program the way we did, where the states, you know, in, in, the states are really, the states own the data. They're really letting us borrow it, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we work in partnership with them. But each state has collected the data for their state, and they're looking, how do we, uh, you know, how, how do we uh, build this into these other important, you know, verticals that we work in so that people are thinking about it. And we see the data being used all the time uh, for, for different purposes on the uh, on the economic development side, there's there's a huge and huge important piece of of uh, of using the data. So, uh, you know, we've got a there's a great example uh, out in Utah. There was a um, a rural uh, uh, it was a healthcare uh, healthcare IT company uh, that was located in a, a pretty rural community, and they uh, they kept having problems uh, with their uh, with the quality of the service that they had, and they thought, you know what, it must it must be because we're in a rural community, and you know I, we may need to we may need to move to a location that has better broadband. Well, they ended up getting in touch uh, with the state broadband office, who's funded through our program, and the state broadband office looked at all the data that they'd accumulated, and they actually identified a provider who was there in that community that the company didn't know about. And that provider was then able to come in and offer some redundancy. Uh, and that allowed that company to stay in that community. And it, you know, it, it saved two or 300 jobs in, in a community that has a population of no more than 5,000. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that's, a, that's, that's one way, uh, uh, you know, one way the data is being used. On the other side, uh, up in, Pennsylvania, uh, one of the we we support uh, a technical assistance program where the state of Pen Pennsylvania, the uh, the governor's office is where the broadband office is located. 
they're doing technical assistance with anchor institutions and with small businesses to help them be able to use uh, use technology more effectively. And there was a rural bed and breakfast uh, that had satellite access, uh, and that's what they were subscribing to. And it was just becoming clear to them that this was just not feasible for them anymore. Uh, they had customers who came in and downloaded a movie, uh, and basically they reached their data caps for the entire month in one day. Uh, they couldn't have people come in for more than a day or two because people didn't like that there, there just wasn't a fast connection. People wanted to be able to, you know, can, they didn't really want to fully disconnect. They wanted to be back at work. And they couldn't host businesses, which was, uh, uh, they couldn't host, you know, business conferences or getaways uh, because people needed to have uh, really high, they needed some high capacity internet access. And so our grantee in Pennsylvania uh, worked, uh, used, you know, used all the data that they had available, uh, a lot of it collected through this program, and saw where the closest, you know, where availability was closest, uh, looked at how they might extend that availability out to that bed and breakfast, uh, worked with a, worked with the local town to be able to uh, uh, quickly get some permits um, and get on some of the right of way. And they were able to uh, get a local broadband provider to uh, extend service out to this uh, bed and breakfast for very, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a very reasonable cost. And the bed and breakfast was then able to start advertising itself as being able to hold you know, small business meetings. And mm -hmm. I think in just I. I think it was just in the first year they had something like 360,000 in in economic benefits that were coming from from having broadband, and that wouldn't have happened with without the data and without the state broadband office, without someone who was kind of that go-to person who they could go to and say, "Help us! How do we figure this out? You know, this isn't our specialty. Our specialty is you know uh, is the hospitality industry." Mm -hmm. So now, if I can extrapolate a little bit. Um, one of the issues that a lot of communities come up with, and particularly their economic development agencies and so forth, is that there isn't data to link broadband to economic development. And so you are, because it's fairly new and the aggressiveness of, you know, who's got serious broadband enhancements has been changed, or I should say help based on the, the broadband stimulus <clears throat> and all the activity that it generated, but 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 folks are saying, well, you know, we do, we still don't have enough data from those projects to um, you know to draw any kinds of conclusions. Is it possible that the 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 state mapping data could become I don't know almost an engine for for getting better overall correlation between broadband and economic development? I think it's absolutely uh, an important piece of that puzzle. Uh, now, you know, you and I were both at a meeting uh, about six months ago uh, on, you know, on that very issue, and that uh, that was actually a, a meeting put together by our state grantee in North Carolina, the North Carolina Department of Commerce, and it was a project that we funded, a very small project through through this grant program, and they they wanted to look at. They said, you know, where where is the data? We 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 know we know uh, intuitively that there's an impact on economic development as a result of broadband, or that 
broadband is an important part of making economic development happen. But uh, but where you know where is the data? Because we've got big GDP data, and then we've got little anecdotes here and there. Uh, and the availability data set, I think, is a uh, it, it, it's going to be an important factor in measuring. Uh, you know, measuring what that change looks like, being able to say, you know, here are here are some similarly situated communities, and and what does growth look like? Uh, you know, and I think that there's, like you said, right? There's when data is fairly new, and what you're trying to do is essentially a backwards analysis. You're trying to say, let's go back five years and see what it looked like and then see what it looks like today with all of this new investment that's happened, you know, to that takes time. It takes time to get uh it you know, it takes it not to not just analyze the data, but you've actually gotta have the years to collect the data. Uh it, I, I think the other side of it is is the piece of so there's that sort of backwards looking research side is what can we say after we've had a lot of the data and had time to evaluate it and impact and all that. And then there's that other side of it which is uh happening in, in lots of states. Uh and it's businesses who are coming into the state and saying, uh, so I'm I'm looking to locate here and here are the things I'm interested in. I'm interested in proximity to uh, you know, an airport. I'm looking for proximity to highways. I'm looking for fiber uh, connection, or I'm looking for a certain speed threshold. Uh, you know, where is it? How do I get it? How much do I have to pay for it? Uh, do I have to build it? And those are all questions that the uh, you know the availability data set is an important part of um, of helping to connect that. Uh, and it can also uh, be an important part of uh, communities uh, who are, when you're looking at uh, people who may be working remotely. Uh, so uh, we've definitely, we've had states uh, who sent us stories where companies have come in and they were looking for workers who are going to be able to work from home. And what they wanted to know was, was there a fast and reliable Internet connection in that community? Uh, or on the other side of it, uh, up in South Dakota, uh, there was a, a company that does, uh, they do language, uh, lang live language tutorial uh, over video. And uh, prior to the math, they found they like South Dakota. It's, uh, for those of you who don't know, South Dakota is accent neutral, so it's a good place if, you, if someone's trying to learn English to learn it first from someone without, uh, without one of the accents uh, you know, elsewhere in the country. Mm -hmm. and, they, uh, uh, and when the math came along, they were able to much more easily identify Okay, what were communities that uh, where broadband was available, uh, and uh, you know, and there was a workforce who could, you know, who could teach English remotely. Uh, and one of the things that was really fascinating is in South Dakota, they found a number of typically fairly rural communities who had better and faster broadband uh, than communities that were in the city. And so that's something I think you also see is you see now not just businesses who are coming to a community, but you see communities who are saying, hey, this is what we have available for you. You may think that we only have X, Y, Z, but actually we've got great broadband because you know, we have this local provider or whatever it is that we've done this investment, whatever the case may be. And they're really selling that. 
to um, when they're going out and trying to bring uh, uh, bring companies in or bringing new residents in who may want to come and be part of that community. Mm-hmm. Now we're we're getting down to about four or five minutes or so left in the show. One of the things I want to talk about, we, you and I talked about offline yesterday, was um, you know what happens, what do states do? Next year, when the NTIA funds, um, you know, run out, what kinds of steps or activities can they do to keep this momentum going of data collection and and mapping out availability and so forth? So, what- so that's a, a great question. Uh, our program ends in about eighteen months. So, the the great part about it is states have eighteen months to plan, uh, and in fact. Uh, Out of a five-year program, when this program began, uh, at our very first grantee meeting, uh, we had uh, a number of sessions on sustainability, and people were already thinking four years down the line, what do we need to be able to show uh, so that we can continue doing this if if our state thinks that it's important enough to keep doing, because obviously that's, that's the key. It has to be critical to that state. Uh, and so I think you see states taking a lot of different uh, avenues right now. Uh, definitely a number of states who are asking for funding from their state legislatures. Uh, there are states who are looking at uh, philanthropic and private sector donations who might uh, who might be able who might do some of this. Uh, there are states who uh, are looking at uh, maybe looking at working together. Uh, and then you have states saying uh, maybe if we were, uh, some of them have kind of been a, a bit of a standalone entity, but they have been within maybe a Department of Commerce or a PUC. So can they take funding from, uh, you know, can they share funding with other, uh, with other issues going on in the state that are also important? Because a lot of states are working on e-government. A lot of states are working on digital literacy, and, and this all falls in that. Uh, and, and lastly, I'll just say one of the most creative uh, uh, funding uh, that someone mentioned was uh, one state who thought maybe we could actually get uh, a personalized license plate around broadband and digital inclusion for our state, and the that comes off of that might be enough, it's not going to be a huge amount, but it would be enough to make sure that we can continue bringing people together around this issue on keeping people informed about what's going on in our state on this issue uh, and making sure that just because federal or philanthropic money uh, ran out, uh, that this doesn't just get pushed to the wayside for whatever, uh, you know, the next hot topic might be. And interesting for our uh, audience, on Friday this week, we're going to pick up this topic with a representative from the um, state of Montana and also from uh, North Carolina to discuss this issue of, well, what do we do next? You know, what do we keep doing? What's been effective and so forth? So I'm sure there will be some uh, creative ideas that will will pop out of that as well. Um, And this has been a great uh, conversation. I think it's added a lot of light to the whole uh, broadband mapping process. So I want to thank you for taking time to uh, come on the show and enlighten our uh, audience and me. Um, and 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 you know it's much appreciated. Hey, well, thanks very much, Craig. I really appreciated the time, and it was good talking with you. Excellent. So we'll do this again sometime. 
Uh, and for our audience, thank you very much for uh, joining us uh, one more show. Uh, please jo- join in on um, on Friday, same bat time, same bat channel, uh, as we go into more, um, you know, what's going on at the state level with uh, mapping and broadband availability and how we can keep the process going forward. Have a great day, and we'll talk again soon.